Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Volume 2 of the Commentary on Ezekiel by the late Horace Hummel covers chapters 21 through 48, where after the prophesied judgment of nations, the Lord grants Ezekiel a wondrous vision of a new temple city called The Lord is There. Join us as we speak with the editor of the Concordia Commentary series, Christopher Mitchell, about the Commentary on Ezekiel by the late Horace D. Hummel. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Reverend Dr. Horace D. Hummel served as professor of exegetical theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri for over 20 years. Chris, welcome back to New Books and Biblical Studies as we continue our look at Horace Hummel's work on Ezekiel, this time volume 2, covering chapters 21 through 48. Well, thank you so much. In Ezekiel chapter 24, we're given a little biographical notice on the death of Ezekiel's wife. What's going on here? This is a fascinating topic for me personally. I've written on the Song of Songs, which has a marriage theme in it. And Ezekiel 24 relates to what I would call the marriage theme throughout Scripture. And this is the way, the framework in which Dr. Hummel interprets it. So again, to look at both the beginning and the end of the Bible as a whole, you have a marriage at the start, Adam and Eve. You have a kind of marriage at the end of Scripture in Revelation after Christ returns. The church is called the Bride of Christ throughout the New Testament. And then only at the end, Revelation 21 is the church then also called the wife of the Lamb. So only after Christ returns is the the marriage consummated, if you will. That is, the bride becomes the wife. So throughout Scripture, you have this theme of God's relationship to his people being analogous to a husband and wife. And that was God's design already from the beginning of creation. I think Ephesians 5 is particularly helpful here, where uh, the Apostle Paul goes back to creation, and then he says, you know, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it's a sacrificial model. The husband is to emulate the sacrificial love of Christ. 
and then wives obey your husbands just as the church is obedient to Christ. Uh, and so again, that um, you know that can be misconstrued in our modern era, but the model is a sacrificial, loving relationship. Now, getting back to Ezekiel here, prophetic marriage is a theme in the Old Testament, and by that I mean that in the lives of many prophets, you have the wife featured prominently. Um, Moses uh, and his marriage comes up a couple times in um, Exodus especially. Among the prophets, you have some oblique references to Isaiah's wife, um, chapters 7 and 8. She's called a prophetess, probably not because she did any prophesying, but because she was Mrs. Prophet, you know, Mrs. Isaiah. And so she has a role, especially with the two children who had prophetic names. Here, Ezekiel um, has a, prophes a prophecy that involves his wife. Now, Ezekiel has a lot of um, austere aspects to him. Um, he's told not to mourn. His, basically, to summarize the drama here, his wife is going to die to coincide with the fall of Jerusalem. So Israel as the bride or wife of the Lord is now dying in the sense that the capital city, Jerusalem, the site of the temple, that's going to be destroyed by, by, by Babylon. And so Ezekiel has action prophecies where he acts out a drama that represents what's going on in the relationship between the Lord and Israel. And this is quite a powerful one. So she dies. Um, we don't get the explicit message of the fall of Jerusalem until chapter 33. So we're kind of left hanging at the end of Ezekiel 24. We're you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak. And then you have these intervening prophecies against the pagan nations. Then at the end of chapter 33, we get the announcement. A messenger comes to Ezekiel in, in exile saying, Jerusalem has fallen. There are other prophetic messages that are worth mentioning, I think, too. So Hosea is a great example, and each of these is different. So there are different dynamics going on in each of these prophetic books. But um, Hosea is a well-known case where the wife of the prophet has a role in acting out a drama that exemplifies the Lord's relationship with his people. Now, um, not to digress too much, but I love the Song of Songs as a positive view of marriage that I would say Solomon and the Shulamite is a drama that lives out the mutual love between Jesus Christ and his church. But that's wisdom literature. I don't want to <laughs> 
digressed too far in that direction, but uh, perhaps I've I've summarized the New Testament fulfillment well enough. You know, Jesus is called the bridegroom even during his earthly ministry, and so this this theme is actually quite important for Christian ethics, in that the church is during the current church age the the bride. We're not yet married so from that framework it's it's vital that we are faithful to the lord we can't just sit back and say oh you know i can live however i please because i'm already permanently part of the people of god we as the bride we have to maintain you know the metaphor metaphorical virginity of the bride of christ that is we can't get involved in idolatry, false worship practices, uh, which throughout the Old Testament are are depicted as adultery. So our status as the bride of Christ is a call to faithfulness and a reminder we have to wait for the Lord to return again. Be vigilant, vigilant until then. Ezekiel 37 is one of the most remarkable passages in the book, where Israel's dry bones are resurrected into a standing army. Would you give us a taste of how Hummel explains the significance of this passage? Sure. And Ezekiel 37 is the culmination of several chapters of of vital gospel prophecies. So again, after the fall of Jerusalem, the people are grieving, they're mourning, they're repentant. They're doing the grieving that Ezekiel was told not to do when his wife died. So you have in chapter 34, the shepherd prophecy. So God will raise up a good shepherd to use the John 10 terminology. And you get the identification of this shepherd as the servant the servant David, so uh, the theme of Davidic kingship, which we've mentioned before. Um, Ezekiel 36, likewise, has this emphasis on the new David, who's going to be the faithful servant of the Lord. And then based on the work of this new David, the, the Christ figure, you have the resurrection theme in Ezekiel 37. Now, part of the imagery in chapter 36 is a kind of a baptismal imagery with the outpouring of clean water. Now, Ezekiel 37 starts with this arid environment. So it's completely dry, a desert setting. There's no water. So this emphasizes the need for our reception of, in essence, the water of life. From the Lord. By ourselves, we have no life. We're dry. We're, we're simply bones. Uh, now, what the Lord does is he speaks by means of his word. And throughout the book of Ezekiel, Dr. Hummel connects the word, the spoken word of the Lord, with the person of Christ. And also the glory of the Lord is involved there in that throughout much of the book, it's the glory of the Lord who speaks the, the Lord's word to Ezekiel. So Dr. Hummel goes back to creation 
where you have the Lord speaking everything into existence. And God said, let there be, and there was. And so you have in Ezekiel 37, a new creation, a new act of God speaking into existence or <clears throat> bestowing life where without his word, there would be no life. It's quite a dramatic chapter in that you have this long process. So God doesn't just instantaneously create everything, but God speaks and then the bones start to rattle and then they start to come together and then finally they stand up, um, but they don't have flesh. So then he, God has to give them flesh and he breathes new life in, into them. So, you know, um, breath and speaking and spirit are all closely related in Hebrew. English Bible translations often have to decide, do I translate ruach in this passage as breath or wind or spirit? But it's all connected in Hebrew. And of course, that's in John, uh, the Gospel of John, the idea of being born again of water and the spirit. You have Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is, is kind of confused about how all this is going to work. So Dr. Hummel ultimately ties this imagery, this resurrection imagery, and the new life um, together with the promise in chapter 36 of clean water um, with the gift of the Spirit. So Ezekiel 36 has a clear promise of the, the gift of the Spirit, uh, like you also have in Isaiah 44 and some other passages. Chapters 40 through 48 offer a vision of the new temple. Ezekiel 47 further describes an amazing reality of this new temple, that a river proceeds from the sanctuary to purify and give life to all creation. How does Hummel explain this unique feature of Ezekiel's vision? Yeah, well, he again would connect all these passages going back to the Garden of Eden with the four rivers. And then also Revelation 22, you have the river of the water of life flowing out um, in the new creation. And you get a lot of the same themes from Eden in Revelation 22, you have the tree of life, um, you have fruitfulness, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and so on. So again, connecting the Eden motif. And Ezekiel 47 is quite remarkable. Uh, it's supernatural, the way this river starts out small from the new temple. And normally in our creation as a river goes along, it'll dry up. If you look at the Colorado River, <laughs> the farther south it goes, the less water there is. But this river actually grows and increases the farther you go. So it's uh, you have this um, idea where Ezekiel could actually wade in it, and then it gets deeper, and then no, maybe you could swim, and then no, it's even too deep to swim in. And it, as it flows down, it gives life. It, it even goes down into the Dead Sea, which was 
dead already in ancient times in Ezekiel's day. But in this vision, it'll be so life-giving, there'll even be fish swimming in the Dead Sea. So yeah, quite a remarkable picture. And this can be related, Dr. Hummel relates it to passages such as John chapter 4, where Jesus is the source of living waters. You have him dialoguing with the Samaritan woman at the well, and you you have a kind of, they kind of talk past each other. He offers her living waters, and she thinks of a spring or, you know, someplace she can get ordinary water. And he explains, no, this is actually, you know, the the living water that God will provide. And you have more of that in John chapter 7. Um, streams of living water will flow and so on. So that's that's the direction Dr. Hummel interprets it. Before we let you go, Chris, would you give us an update on your work on the Concordia Commentary Series? How is the project progressing and how many volumes are left? Well, thanks for the question. We have right now 44 volumes in print. We have 34 more planned. Uh, when we started this series originally in 1992, we had thought maybe 32 volumes to complete the whole series. What's happened, though, is our authors have written way more than we expected. Our, our first decision was the Gospel of Luke. We had asked for one 500-page book. The author wrote two 500-page books, so we published them as two volumes, and that's been the trend uh, ever since then. So that's why the series has gotten so long. Now we expect it to total 78 volumes. We've published two volumes per year for the last 20 years, so starting in 2003. We're trying to move to the publication of three volumes in most years. We're not yet promising every year, but we expect this next year, 2024, to have three volumes. So there'll be Isaiah 1 to 12, which I'm done editing, um, Haggai and Malachi, one volume, which I'm in the middle of editing, and then Genesis 37 to 50, which we hope to have in print by the end of 2004. So if we can succeed in increasing our pace to three per year, that would be about 11 more years to finish the series. And I have to thank the authors. You know, I'm just an editor. We could never do this without the productivity of the authors. So they get the credit. The publishing house can work with institutions to help facilitate time for writing, and that's an important part of the process. Chris, it's been a delight. Thank you for your editorial labors, and thank you for sharing with us about Hummel's fine work. Well, it's my privilege. Yeah, I I thank God every day that I can spend my days immersed in the scriptures, reading Hebrew and Greek, and thinking about Christ and his return. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.